Take your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 1, the first book and first chapter of your Bible. Today we're going to look at an uh, extended passage, Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, to chapter 2, verse 3, and it's the entire creation week. And uh, let me just say from the outset that, you know, I don't believe in macroevolution. Um, macroevolution is the changing of one animal into a completely different kind of animal. I don't believe in that, but this sermon won't focus on evolution or ge- geology or astrophysics or uh, microbiology. Um, this sermon is going to focus uh, less on what we don't believe and more on what we do. And uh, I do want to give you some resources. If you're interested in further study of those types of issues, uh, there's a couple of different resources that uh, I would recommend to you. One is Answers in Genesis. Uh, that's the ministry of Ken Ham. Uh, and AnswersinGenesis.org is their website. And um, uh, Gary and uh, Susie and their extended family just uh, came back from a full-size, I mean, real-size ark in the middle of Kentucky. I don't think that's where the original ark was built, but uh, uh, this replica is full size, and uh, when we get to Genesis chapter 6, uh, we may uh, be able to talk uh, Susie and uh, Gary into sharing with us a few pictures of uh, that to give you an idea of uh, the, the size of that ark. But, so there's uh, that website, and also, if you uh, are interested in uh, a little bit going a little bit deeper into some of the science uh, behind creation science. There's the Institute for Creation Research, icr.org, and uh, they have a wealth of information there as well. Uh, but for this sermon, I want to I give you the, the big picture of Creation Week. I want to show you uh, what God did during Creation Week, and I want to talk about the reason that God did it. I want to talk about what He did the order in which he did things, because that's very important, and also why he did it. And so what we find in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, is a, a, a verse of Scripture where we find creation is left incomplete. It says in verse 1 that uh, God had created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then in verse 2 we read, Now the earth was... Formless and empty darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the surface of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And what God is going to do during creation week is that he is going to provide what is lacking. God is going to uh, provide solutions, if you will, to the three issues that you see on the screen Formlessness, emptiness, and darkness. These are the three things that God will deal with in Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. And the first one he's going to deal with is this idea of darkness. Darkness is a problem in God's creation. Why? Because light is necessary for life. I know that you can find some animal here or there or some microbe that can live in complete darkness. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about for God's world, the world that he created, 
to be teeming with life. There needs to be light. And so that's where God begins. God begins by creating light. We read in verse 3, Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And I want you to notice a couple of things here. And we're going to, as we go through these verses, we're going to point out a few things. The first thing I want you to notice is that God spoke light into being. This speaks to his power, his sovereignty over creation. Uh, You and I cannot speak things into being like this. We cannot create ex nihilo, as Latin says. We can't create something out of nothing. Um, But when God speaks, results happen. When God moves, things move. And so God spoke this light into being. Now, Scripture talks a whole lot about light. There's no way we can cover what Scripture says. In fact, uh, there's no way to truly do justice in about 30, 35 minutes to this chapter because there's so much more, so much more depth that you can go into with each and every single verse. But I want to explain at least a couple of things that the, the Bible says, that God says about light. Because light is obviously physical light that we see, that are, that's here in this room, but it's also a spiritual reality. In 1 John chapter 1, we read these words, God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in Him. And so this is taking the idea of light um, metaphorically, talking about holiness, talking about righteousness, talking about a lack of sin, a lack of spiritual darkness. And those verses continue, we have fellowship with him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. And so light itself is a spiritual thing. We read, if we fast forward into history, into the future, in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, one of the incredible uh, realities that we'll experience someday is this. That night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. What an incredible promise to you, believer, that you get to reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's so much that God's Word has to say about light that we cannot even cover. But that, that idea about the creation of light continues in verse 4. It says, God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. The light, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was an evening, and there was a morning one day couple of things here. Number one, God called something good. God called the light good. This implies that God himself is good. God is the one who delineates between good and evil. 
It's not a matter of public opinion. It's not a social construct, as you might learn in college. It's not something that some society says, well, this is good, and another society debates and says, no, that is good. Uh, well, we might debate those things here on earth, but the reality is that God himself is the determiner of what is good and what is not. And if God is good, then God is judge. He's the judge of all things being good or not. He distinguishes good from evil. The second thing I'd point out is that second phrase we read. God separated the light from the darkness. This is the first of three separations that we'll find in chapter 1. The separation of light from darkness. What does this, what's this mean? Why, why is it important for things to be separated? When things are separated, it means they have boundaries. It means there is order. It means there is harmony. It means that nature itself is predictable. It means that nature is dependable. God built all of these qualities into his creation. Harmony, predictability. We wouldn't have any of the sciences. We wouldn't have any medical technology if, we, if everything in the world was unpredictable. But God built predictability into his creation. He set boundaries. He placed order into his creation. There is harmony in his creation. Everything has a place in his creation. And so God is establishing these boundaries. He's establishing this order, these rules these laws, immutable laws, if you will, from the very beginning. And then notice the next phrase. It says, God called the light day, and he called the darkness, what, night. Here God is naming things. Light and darkness are named, and that's important. Why? It means God is in charge. You see, naming rights are given to superiors. And if you can name something, you are superior to it. That's why your mama and your daddy are superior to you. They named you. And I find it to be the height of arrogance for people to go around and saying, I'm changing my name. Who gave you the authority to change your name? Only a separate and higher authority can name you what you are. And so God is the authority over light. He's the authority over darkness. He has named these things. And then finally, we come to this phrase, and it'll be repeated uh, on each day. There was an evening, and there was a morning, one day. And even today, the the uh, Jewish uh, Orthodox Jews will consider days to begin in the evening because of Genesis chapter 1. We always believe days begin at midnight for some reason, or days begin when we wake up. No, no, they begin in the evening. There was evening and there was morning. That, according to God at least, is one day. Then we get into not only God's dealing with darkness, but God dealing with the productive atmosphere. What do I mean by that? Look at verses 6 and 7. We go from something that is without form. Remember Genesis 1-2? Things were formless. They were a hobgoblin of mixed up nothingness. I mean, it was just something was just not 
put together yet. Okay? And so we went from things being without form to God creating an expanse above. God said, let there be an expanse between the waters, separating water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the, the expanse from the water above the expanse. And it was so. And so God is putting this separation again. This is the second separation that we find. A separation from the waters above and the waters below. And the waters above are where we get the rain and the clouds and all of those things. And then the waters below are, uh, as God will gather them together in just a minute, they form the oceans and the seas and the rivers and the lakes and all of those things. Again, this is the second separation. And then in verse 8 we read, God called the expanse sky. Evening came and then morning the second day. Now, why is it important that God called this expanse the sky? Well, ancient religions and Israel's neighbors, when, when this was being written, Israel's ancient neighbors believed that perhaps one God ruled the sky and another God ruled the seas. But what we have here is a very clear teaching. The Lord God rules over all. He is the ruler of the sky. He is the ruler of the seas and the earth and everything it contains. And so we have that teaching built in right here. And then the, the, the seas are put together. Next, we go from without form to the seas below. It says in verse 9, Then God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And this is the third separation, separation number three, where God gathers all of the waters to their rightful place in the oceans. And in verse 10, we read, God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the water he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And so what God did on day two, he separated the waters above from the waters beneath, Day three, he separated the dry land from the seas, gathered the seas into their place. And I want you to notice something that you may not have ever noticed before. Now, we know on day one, God called the light good. Why? Because light, by its very nature, is inherently good. On day two, God called nothing good. Verse seven simply says, and it was so. On day three... God's back to calling things good. Once day three happened, God called it good. Why? Why wasn't anything good on day two? Well, it's not that anything wasn't good on day two. But here's what you need to understand. The creation aspect of day two was only called good by God after all of the separations were complete on day three. All three separations had to happen. Why? Because life can't exist without these separations. Life cannot exist until light is separated from darkness. Life cannot exist until water is separated from the air. 
and life cannot exist until the water is separated from the land. And now, and only now, after day three, is all of this formlessness taking the proper shape. And now God says, it was good. And so we read, we continue to read in verse 11 about day three. Then God said, let the earth produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit with seed in it, according to their kinds. Pay attention to that phrase, according to their kinds. We'll get back to it later. And it was so. So The earth produced vegetation, seed-bearing plants according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Something else I want you to understand in, in these two verses here. And this is very, very unique, very, very strange when you first notice it. For the first time, God's command is indirect. God did not say, let there be vegetation. He said, let the earth produce vegetation. God commanded the earth to do something. And the earth itself obeyed. And God, according, God had all of these things happen according to their kinds. Again, we have this idea of boundaries. In other words... A banana tree is not going to give you apples. And an apple tree will not give you grapes. And a money tree, well, God didn't make one of those. But God gave us everything else that we need. And so God calls all of this bountiful vegetation that's coming up throughout the earth good And then the Bible says in verse 13, evening came, and then morning, the third day. What is God up to these three days? God is bringing order out of disorder. And he's making the earth capable of being productive. Whereas in verse 2, it was unproductive. It was formless. But now there's the capacity for Vegetation. There's the capacity for life. There's the capacity for this earth to be filled with all kinds of life. Beginning with the vegetation, but certainly not ending there. So we have this creation of the atmosphere. We have the formation of the seas. We have the bountiful vegetation. All of this is getting ready for the next day. And on the next day, we read this in verse 14. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will serve as signs for seasons and for days and years. They will be lights in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth. And it was so. God is talking about the sun and the moon. He's also talking about the stars. Okay? Interesting. God created light on day one. Without a sun, without a moon, without stars. They didn't come till day four. What was the source of light on day one? Well, other than God himself saying, let it be, that's all we know. 
scientifically, it'd be unprovable to try to find that source. But God wants to fill up the empty skies with celestial bodies. These celestial bodies will be there again for the benefit of life. And so God positioned the sun, he positioned the moon in such a way as to sustain life on this earth. You know we could not have life without the moon. We obviously couldn't have life without the sun. God positioned the sun 93 million miles away. He positioned the moon in just the right place so that there would be life on this earth. And by the way, it says that these, these lights in the sky will serve as signs for seasons and days and years. Every civilization ever known to man set their calendar according to these lights in the skies. Either lunar calendars or solar calendars. And we still do it today. Then in verse 16 we read, God made the two great lights. The greater light to rule over the day. And the lesser light to rule over the night. As well as the stars. Now, the Hebrew language has a word for sun and moon. It has two different words for sun and moon. They're not used in Genesis chapter 1. Very intentionally, these are called the greater light and the lesser light. Why? Here's why. Because all of Israel's ancient neighbors, all of them, believed that the earth's destiny was determined by the course of the stars in the sky. It was determined by the moon in the sky. It was determined by the sun in the sky. And all of these things were believed to be deities that determined everything that happened on earth. Everything that happened in human life. But by using the word greater light and lesser light, it's an indication that the sun and the moon are not to be worshipped. It's an indication that even that the sun and the moon are subservient to our needs. To our needs on earth. And we're, we're getting to, to the place of understanding that God did all of this for us. For us. And so we move forward in verses 17 and 19. It says that God placed them, these lights, in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth, to rule the day and night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Evening came, and then morning, the fourth day. What is it that makes the sun and the moon and the stars good? Because God calls them good here in these verses. What makes them good? What makes them good, according to the context here, is that they fill the sky. God is filling up the empty skies. And now God is about to fill up some other things too that are what? He's filling up the places and the things that are empty. Remember that in Genesis 1-2? God is dealing with the darkness. God is dealing with the formlessness. And now on days 4 through 6, God is dealing with the emptiness. And he fills up the skies. And God says that it's good. In the next verse, verse 20. Then God said, Let the water swarm with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. Again, God commands 
the waters to do something. And this is, this is an indication, again, against all of the teachings of all of Israel's ancient neighbors, that the waters are filled with demons and the waters are filled with gods. And this is an indication, no, no, no. The waters are not divine. The waters are subject to the divine. They are subject to God himself. They are subject to God's command. And so if God says, let the waters swarm with creatures, that's what's going to happen. Verse 21. And so God created the large sea creatures and every living creature that moves and swarms in the water according to their kind. To their kinds. He also created every winged creature according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse 22, God blessed them. Be fruitful. Multiply and fill the waters of the seas. And let the birds multiply on the earth. Evening came and then morning, the fifth day. Verse 21. God continues to fill the empty earth with creatures. Then God said, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock. Creatures that crawl and the wildlife on the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. Next verse. So God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. The livestock according to their kinds. And all the creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Now, the language of the uh, Old Testament, the language specifically of Genesis chapter 1, is not the modern language of science. It is the language, we call it phenomenological language. It is the language of phenomenons. It's the language, it's the common language that we use. And so in the common language that we use, according to Scripture, each animal is of a certain kind of animal. Cats or of a certain kind, and it's a cer- certainly a different kind than dogs, and that's certainly different than snakes, and, and it's not difficult to understand. And each kind of animal can reproduce after its own kind, according to its kind. Now, when you and I engage in scientific observation, do we discover that to be true? Absolutely. What we see in science, what we see in nature... Is what Scripture tells us, that each one reproduces after its own kind. What we don't see in Scripture, what we don't see in science, what we don't see in nature, is one kind of animal turning into a different kind of animal. We just don't see it. It's just not possible. It, do, it just does not happen. So what we see in nature is what Scripture tells us, not what some biased, atheistic, scientific theories tell us. That is bad science, to believe that an animal of one kind can transition into a completely different kind. It just does not happen. There's no evidence of it anywhere. In verse 26, we read this, that not only was the empty earth going to be filled with 
God's creatures, but also with God's imagers, those that would image God. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. We're going to come back next week and look at Genesis verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 26 through 28 in more detail. Because there's a whole lot here that we want to unpack. But I want to say just now this. There is a distinctive difference between animals and humans. They were created on a different day. And there is a distinction between animals and humans. Only humans are made in God's image. And every human is made in God's image. We are male and female. There should be no discussion, debate, about such a simple idea that God made us from the very beginning to be male and female. And what is our job? Our job as humans is to rule this world as God's representatives. That's it. That's what it means to be made in the image of God. You are a ruler of a certain aspect of this world. You might be a ruler of your family. You might be a ruler of your finances. You might be a ruler, to a degree, of your destiny. What do I mean by that? Because you can determine how far you go through your hard work through your efforts. It happens within the bounds of who God made you to be, but God has given us an incredible amount of free will to be able to determine certain things for ourselves and to become a ruler over certain things. Some of you are business owners. You're the ruler of that business. And God wants us as rulers not to be authoritarians, but to be humble and good and beneficial not only for yourself and your pocketbook, but beneficial for all of the world. God has made you a ruler, a ruler within his world. And then God said in verse 29, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose uh, fruit contains seed, This will be food for you. For all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it, I've given every green plant for food, and it was so. God has given us everything that we need on this earth. He's given us everything that we need to do what? To obey Him. To fill this earth. To rule over this earth. 
God's given us all that we need. God has taken, in, verse, in, in uh, days 4 through 6, God has taken this empty world, and he's begun to fill it up. Fill it up with life. God has taken this uninhabitable world of Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, and he's made it habitable. He's made it productive. He's given us celestial bodies. He's given us animals. He's given us humans on these days. And then, after God had created humans, in verse 31 we read this incredible verse, God saw all that he had made. And it was very good indeed. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. Once everything was complete, it wasn't just good. It was very good. And so we read in chapter 2, verse 1. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Did he rest because he was tired? Did he rest because he needed a nap? No. There's nothing in God that he lacks. God rested because there was nothing else left to do. And so God rested and he celebrated in that rest all that he had done. Verse 3, God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. For on it he rested from all his work. Of creation. What's the word holy mean? It means separate. It means different. The seventh day is a different kind of day. And that seventh day of creation, it eventually became the foundation for the Sabbath that God gave to Israel. It became the foundation for keeping track of days in every civilization. We don't have days that are 10 weeks, or excuse me, weeks that are 10 days long. What are they? They're seven. Why? It's built into us. It became a pattern. The seven-day pattern became a pattern built into all of creation, including our hearts and our minds. When Jesus himself was resurrected and he kept making his appearances, he kept appearing on the first day of the week. The first day of the week. The first day of the week. Why is that? It was built on this foundation of a seven-day week. And even today, why do you and I, why do we gather on the first day of the week, which we typically call Sunday? The Bible calls it the Lord's Day. Why? Because the Lord appeared on that day after he was resurrected. Why do we gather on the Lord's Day, all of us that can? Why? We gather to worship the Lord. We gather to worship the Lord. That pattern of seven days is built into each one of us. So big question, big picture question. Why did God create the world? Why did God create the world this way? Here's why. Ultimately, God did it for his own glory. To glorify his own name. And how is God's name glorified? God's name is glorified by having 
a certain type of creature who is made in his own image. That's you and me. And only you and me are made in God's image. And since we are creatures, that means we need a suitable place. We need a place to live. We need a place that has light. We need a place with boundaries of separation that make this world inhabitable. We need a place that has celestial bodies in the sky and animals teeming on the earth that make this world productive. And so God created light on day one for you to give Him glory. God created on day two the sky for you to give Him glory. On day three, God created the seas and the vegetation for you to give Him glory. On day four, God created the sun and the moon and the stars for you to give Him glory. On day five, God created all of the animals for you to give Him glory. And on day six, God created us to give Him glory. And then God created rest. On day seven, for you to give him glory. All glory goes to God for what he's done in creation. Why did he do it beyond his own glory? He did it for you. God put the sun in the sky for you. God put oxygen in this atmosphere for you to breathe. God gave us water to drink and to sustain our bodies. He did it for you. God gave us animals, pets even, and animals in in the fields and in the seas and in the sky. He did it for you. Everywhere you look this day, look around at the glory of God's creation and give God praise because God did it. Little old you. He did it for you. The best way you can give glory to God today is to honor His Son. Jesus became one of us, and He died on a cross and rose from the grave, and He calls us to follow Him. Why did Jesus do all of that? He did it you. God so loved this world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He did it for you.